All right, I'm David of the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm here with Brenda. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Brenda. Hi, everyone. My name is Brenda Stutt. I'm with Excelsior Creative, an affiliate of the Excelsior Group. We're based in Minneapolis. We are a branding and marketing agency focused on real estate and real estate-related businesses. Cool. And in this episode, Brenda talks a little bit about her journey, um, what the importance of brand uh, at different parts of the life cycle. What do we talk about? Like lease-ups versus the, after the first changeover versus uh, you even got into a little bit of um, fix and flippers mm-hmm. and when it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we talk about? I think, you, you know, how do you tie brand and the squishy stuff back to owner goals? Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't talk a whole lot about metrics, but just you know, ROI and pushing rents and yeah. owner-related things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, super interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Just ask me questions. You can edit me out if I say silly things, right? Sure. I've never edited yet. We have like Nicole... (laughs) Uh, Nicole has asked a few times, like, oh, we should edit. It's like, no, that, that gets in a, it's a slippery slope. I feel Probably. you start editing and it gets you, Probably. gets you in trouble. Um, so what did we say? We were going to talk about brand, the importance of brand, right? Importance of brand. Yeah. Um, what did you kind of open with here? Experience journey. How'd you get into it? what do you like? what do you dislike? Yeah. Yeah. Trends. Good stuff. So yeah. Why don't you take us through quickly your, um, well, I guess that your journey now, because I, when I met you a couple of years ago, you were, uh, you still brand, but I guess more on like working for Excelsior on the brand side. And now I guess you probably still do some of that, but you guys are also opening up a bit to do for other groups too. So I'm curious to hear just kind of like about that track that you've been on. Um, and then I definitely want to get into, I'm sure that'll take us into the importance of brands because a lot of apartment buildings don't. They just don't focus as much on that. It's like yeah. slinging, let's go sling some apartments and that's about <laughs> it. So Yeah, great. Uh, well, I've been at the Excelsior for eight years. Mm-hmm. And the last three years, maybe three, four years, I would say that my group has really been functioning as an in-house agency. So we have been supporting the Excelsior group and what they have going on. But we've also been billing on a project basis and mm-hmm. kind of starting to track our time and moving towards that agency model. You guys didn't do that before. It was just like you were an in-house resource, but they could just use you as needed. Correct. We were, we were set up more as a department. And I'm sorry, I I don't want to be wrong here, but I'll ask anyways. You guys are mostly, well, no, you do third party. Do you do any owner operated stuff? We're all third party. Interesting. So third parties, even though you're your shared resource, they weren't hounding you guys on, you know, what am I getting for, for this out of that department? You know, it's interesting. So I should probably also say that the Excelsior group about two to three years ago kind of made a shift in their like, fundamentals, I guess. Mm. Um, they've been around for 15 years. And the first number of years they were focused on their an investment real estate group. A lot of multifamily. That was just sort of their their comfort, mm-hmm. their background. Um, they had some commercial background also, but the portfolio at that point was primarily multifamily. Yeah. Um, and Jennifer Gordon had come over from Pinnacle and was sort of slated to grow this multifamily business, which she's done an amazing job. And two to three years ago, we shifted from being that investment real estate company to being 
a collection of affiliate real estate related companies. Okay. So the Excelsior Group itself is really a platform where real estate related businesses can come and grow and foster and cross sell and utilize shared resources. Cool. Multifamily is the largest incubating affiliate, if you will. Okay. They have 100 plus employees, a number of properties, 5,000 units under management, and all of those units are managed third party. Okay. Now, some of the leadership in the Excelsior Group proper may have equity or stake in those assets, but the Excelsior Group doesn't own any of them. So in a traditional owner-operator, we're not. Right. 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 Super interesting. So these companies, like, they're not necessarily the same founders or originating or ownership team. Uh, They're, as you're saying, they're different companies that decided to, like, let's join forces. And some of them grew organically from that original model. Okay. Um, So we had a residential land. Mm. We still have a residential land development group. Mm -hmm. And that kind of grew and started to add this home builder lending component, which Mm -hmm. is now its own affiliate, its own business. It's called Excelsior Capital. And it lends non-traditional capital to single-family home builders mm-hmm. in the Minneapolis area. Okay. So they're related. The residential land group is buying up chunks of land and give, you know, developing them and putting in curb and gutter and stuff and sell, selling those lots off to national home builders. Yeah. Okay. But, it, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah. there's... It's a different setup than other folks that talk to. It's very different. Yes. I mean, I would say, I would guess most of your clients are kind of this bread and butter multifamily company they manage mm-hmm. whether it's owner operator and or third party but mm-hmm. like that's their focus mm-hmm. we are just there really, may be some commercial yeah yeah like a tangential yeah you know, we're pretty diverse yeah so then um over the eight years you were shared well you said two years or three years ago they started doing this new excelsior group model um but that's when did you guys start tracking time then or when did the time tracking come in we really started about a year and a half ago okay and for the first three years it was just me okay so i was brought on we had at that point the company was small i was number 30 employee and we're 200 out of the entire group group yeah wow yeah wow that's Um, crazy growth it is crazy growth it's it was it's kind of I feel like I came in at just the right moment. I got to experience all the madness, like the good madness, the the stuff that we've been able to learn mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like we're. I w- you guys had this office last year. Yeah, we um, think we've been here for about four years. Okay, but you guys definitely were expanding at the time. I didn't realize that you guys were doing that kind of growth. That's crazy from the people side, headcount side. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, as the portfolio grows, you need yeah. more boots in the ground and yeah. offsite people. Totally. Um, okay, cool. So then um, you start tracking time uh, because folks at some point are going to want to know, like, how is this being attributed to me? And yeah, so pick the journey back up there. So first few years, it was just me. I started to build a team. We're almost just building out the department because the company was continuing to grow. I mm-hmm. needed to have mm-hmm. some designers on staff and we were just doing more for not just the Excelsior Group brand and the corporate marketing, but for the clients and for our third-party clients. So as we continued to have more multifamily developments or commercial developments, whatever it might be, our services were being tapped and used for branding or brochure design, management of websites, uh, a lot of experience Mm. pieces and parts, and then also being involved upfront in the development. You know, what what is the vibe and the story of this product that we're basically creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward to, you know, two, three years ago, we started to, on a project basis, 
really more for the properties within the portfolio, mm-hmm. charge for projects. And we okay. were not tracking time at that point. We were just sort of like finger in the ear. This feels like right. a $500 project. Right, right, Or this right, feels right, right. like a $1,000 project. Right, right. Um, and they seem to have a, a bit of a palette for that. So yeah. you know, we would, our intention was never to gouge them or to yeah. be unrealistic. But we wanted to sort of communicate that there was value and offer those services for fee, I guess. Um, so last year, uh, going into last year, we sort of made this decision, well, maybe this could be a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. And we really don't know because we have been guessing and not, we, we didn't have metrics to fall back on. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to dig in and that's when we started time tracking mm-hmm. was really the beginning of last year. Yeah. And we, our CEO, Chris Culp and I went into 2019 with the it's our first official year as a fake business purview. <laughs> like, let's see what this means if we're looking at the numbers and mm-hmm. tracking metrics and how does it go? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we always had a department budget and we were always doing well there, but it wasn't being scrutinized the same way. Cause right. Like exactly. definitely. Uh, and I want to get into some of the work that you guys have done. Cause I feel like it really stands out. At least from my experience, we see a lot of different properties and every time we get, uh, we get one of your guys, um, projects it's always like well this is handled like there's no like (laughs) worry about like what do we have to work with you know uh so want to get into that but yeah so before people are like well this is good work but like we don't need to scrutinize and then as you guys think about expanding beyond the the properties that you're directly tied to as an actual business and an offering then you guys start getting into the time tracking as you're saying and, Mm -hmm. and probably more cost analyzing costs more Mm -hmm. just to see really what the you know if there's enough room there Absolutely. Okay. And you're tracking utilization rates and just really digging in and how can we be more productive because our time is our product right? as an agency. Right, right. Services. Mm-hmm. Tough gig. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think we're fortunate in that we have a really strong base of built-in clients being at the Excelsior Group. So the platform yeah. for us brings strength in that we have the Excelsior Group on retainer. We have the multifamily operating portfolio on retainer. Mm-hmm. So we handle all of the marketing on a day-to-day basis for that portfolio. Yeah. We have another affiliate. It's our tenant representative or um, um, advisory, real estate advisory. Okay. Fancy way of saying brokerage group has us on retainer. So they just get X number of hours of consulting. A month. A month. Yeah. Um, And then, as you said, we've opened this opportunity. This door has been opened for us to take our experience and our services and really work the network that not just our company or affiliate Mm -hmm. has, but the other six at the Excelsior group and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. we can deliver for you what you've seen us do for partners of the Excelsior group, whether or not the other affiliates are associated. So these other affiliates though, as you were saying earlier, aren't all multifamily. So are you guys trying to stay within the niche of that? Or are you, will you guys take kind of whichever project presents itself? As long as it's within the real estate vertical or category, I suppose you could say. Yeah, Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. And was there something that spurred this idea besides the fact that, because as you're talking about all the growth you guys have and all of the different affiliate, you know, organization, there's a lot of opportunity already. I say opportunity, meaning work probably to go around. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what planted the seed to say, like, let's go beyond? It's a really great question. I think our culture and the spirit here is just very entrepreneurial and, and that is part of the shift from being just an investment real estate group to, hey, let's let's help these 
really entrepreneurial spirited people mm-hmm. do what they want to do. And rather than us leave and go do something someplace else, right, right. you know, they want to keep us here and keep that culture and spirit alive. And so I think we're all really fortunate to have the opportunity to kind of root and build and grow with the support of not just each other, but the executives mm-hmm. and the reputation of the Excelsior group. Super cool. So was that, is that a culture that's stated or is that more like naturally inherited people just recognize it? Um, that's how it started. But as we went through this transition from, um, we, we started to adopt EOS. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. We do the same thing. Yeah. I would love to talk to you about that yeah. separately. So that happened about 18, 24 months ago. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the shift of, okay, well, the Excel group, who are you really? Mm-hmm. And what do you want to be? And we outlined our core values. Um, we have an acronym, HIPPIE. Oh, so that's cool. Humility, integrity, positivity, passion, innovation, and excellence wow. are our core values. You, very similar to ours. Very similar. But uh, I won't dive, or I won't <laughs> go too far off track So, because uh, I know we are, are short on time, it feels like, because I have so much I want to get to. So... That's awesome. Cool. So then um, you, was it formalized or, because I'll say like, so uh, I went to Fordham as an adult student. I skipped college originally. And uh, when I took entrepreneurship class there, my, my professor was Chris Jansen. Jansen? Jansen? Don't hurt me. She's married now, so different name. But she, uh, she was very big into entrepreneurship. How do you, t- like within an organization like JP Morgan or whatever, how do you still kind of do what, as, as you're describing, like how do you take take your ideas and, and foster it? Um, but um, a lot of big companies say they have, you know, they're entrepreneurial or, or mm-hmm. that they, they offer entrepreneurship programs, but mm-hmm. in, in practice, it doesn't really happen. It's, it's There's so much red tape. And in a, and in a way where we, uh, Reed, I, and Nicole came from at the Post, they there was definitely a little bit of that culture. They wanted to feel like it was that culture, but then you were just kind of boxed out of, of what you really wanted to do. So I'm just, mm-hmm. yeah, curious for you to dive into that a little bit. They definitely walk, walk, the, walk, the walk, talk, the talk. Sure. I don't know. They, they yeah. deliver. Yeah. There's been a few instances where an employee has started in one area or department, maybe it's accounting or maybe yeah. it's HR yeah. and they have voiced interest in, you know, I really, I'm really interested in this instead. Maybe I'm interested in asset management or I'm interested mm-hmm. in marketing or I want to be a leasing director at a multifamily building. Mm-hmm. They absolutely help that happen. I mean, end of the day, it's let's set everyone up for success and manage the strengths yeah. as much as we can. Well, if you're really following EOS to the letter, then um, there is a component of that where it's like um, GWC. Well, there's yeah, GWC, sure, <laughs> but I just mean like where like with the annual reviews and the quarterly reviews, the way that it's uh, it's laid out is that you're really supposed to to get at someone's core and what they're interested in mm-hmm. and help foster that uh, ver- versus like the typical, I'll say more starchy, like, Hey, let's do an annual review. It's like, you showed up to work. Right. Gold star. You're and breathing. Like, yeah. Great. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Instead you're really thinking about developing the person. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So now you guys have moved into that. So tell me a little bit about the importance of brand. Why, why would someone come in and work with your team or any team to on a project? And I think I even said like, well, in my experience, a lot of our clients will um, will focus a lot on brand at the beginning. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, when they're developing a project, it helps like get the investment and the people excited and mm-hmm. the project off the ground. But then once the building's done, uh, there may be some brand left, but meaning 
they'll pass over some assets to people, yep. but there's usually not as much investment once the project's finished to, to continue like, um, you know, with that brand guide and like the assets that you get sometimes, uh, but certainly moving into year two, it's kind of all funds have evaporated. And then particularly once a building's been sold off, if it leased up and sold off, they may change brands, uh, Mm-hmm. but not the same kind of work was put into it because they didn't inherit. So I'd be, I just would love for you to talk through that entire cycle. Like why is brand worth it at the beginning? What should happen once a, a, a building is sold? You know, should you ever invest, invest in brand again at, you know, four years, five years down the line? So I know that's a lot, but we'll get there. Hopefully. It is. Yeah. Let's chip away at it. I think um, at the, at the base, we always want to drive back to owner goals. And what is the Money. what is, what right? What is what is ownership <laughs> looking to do? Yeah. Um, and in a new development scenario, same thing, right? Where we're geared up, we're creating that brand up front. Everybody's excited about it. Mm-hmm. It is so easy for it to just dilute, and it, mm-hmm. it happens even before the building opens or two years past that. I mean, mm-hmm. I look at it as a story. So. Mm-hmm. Think of generation over generation, stories get told and they kind of morph and change and Mm -hmm. adapt. So something we really try to do is have a consistent individual from beginning to end, if we can, Mm -hmm. and then also create tools for training. How do we pass that story down the line and help prevent the dilution as much as possible? Mm. So if someone from our brand team creates a library of videos and that communicates a story, communicates, hey, this is why we chose these colors. You know, let's, mm-hmm. we were talking about Rafter mm-hmm. prior to recording. The name Rafter was chosen because there is a very gregarious group of wild turkeys that have made their residence in Northeast Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And a Rafter is a group of turkeys. So we, again, playing a little bit of homage to that neighborhood. And we want to try and give the on-site team those tools because People want that experience and they want mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. And then as the building has been open for two years, hopefully the team tends to, whether it's a shift to a different property or a turnover, mm-hmm. you know, part of training is watch those videos. Here's the story. Here's the brand. So you guys will do videos. That's interesting. At the beginning, like before the pro- before ground is broken or after ground is broken? We, we chunk them apart in phases. So mm-hmm. it's best to do to create these videos or these tools when things are fresh, right. in my opinion. So yeah. the brand's created, yeah. video. Yeah. Then we start to create some tools, and it could be that there is a piece that explains the collateral or the printed sales tools. And it's mm-hmm. explaining why we design them the way we design them and how to use them. Um, it goes a little bit behind, but beyond, hey, here's a business card and look, your name's on either side. Right. But how could you use this tool to create the experience with your consumer mm-hmm. that we sort of hypothesized or like wrote for you through these tools. How do you appropriately diffuse them for the most impact or the most positive impact? Mm -hmm. Um, So different phases through the project will create these tools and they live in a toolbox. Um, There's a lot of diffusion that starts to happen once the brand is created, which Mm -hmm. that's kind of where your team comes in, right? Like we start advertising Mm -hmm. and we start hosting events and we put signs up and Mm -hmm. we do a lot of other things where we're pushing that brand and that story out. So, um, okay, if I back up, if I'm some rich dude, right, I, I can see if I'm building a $100 million skyscraper that it's like, I want to, I want, I'm doing it for the money, right? I'm, it's an yeah. investment, right? Yeah. But then I can start to really get drawn into it and be like, you know what, like, I would love for it to have a brand. And I like the story about the rafters and the turkeys and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, you know, those costs, like, 
respectively to the cost of the building, they're they're minor. Mm, yes. But when it's funny because once people start operating a building, they think of them as like <laughs> I'm cutting off an arm. It's to, totally it's, different it's, it's, for you. Right. So um so I'm curious for you to dive into a little bit about that because as you were saying, like I can see how I'd get attached to it. Like we're moving into a new office um next week. And, you know, we start with a budget and then we're like, you know what, but we'd love to do this and we'd love to do that for culture. And all of a sudden the budget explodes. Right. right? And then it's like, shoot, should we? And I can see how now, like if we had if it was a building we're going to try to lease out or make money on that, we'd start to like gut it. So that diffusion, could you talk about that? Like why, how that starts to be lost? Because I'll I'll just give I'll expand a little bit. But one of our um, one of our clients is uh, is RKW and uh, on the East Coast and Joya is phenomenal. Like she she's phenomenal. And she will say like when they go and pitch uh, a new, you know, possible owner, they uh, she will they'll say like, well, we're going to take over this building. They think about the story. They'll make a charcuterie board uh, of like the cheeses and meats that go with the story. And, and I'm blown away by the effort that goes into building a charcuterie board. But at the same time, like, I don't know that the leasing agent understands that you got the what up, age salami, whatever on right. the board. And so back to your diffusion. So just go into that a smidge. Uh, I want to touch on one other thing related yeah. back to your rich guy putting your yeah, money yeah. into this tower. Yeah. Well, think, I'm coming back to that, but go ahead. Um, I had mentioned owner goals. And a lot yeah. of that is you know, we work with these institutional investors and these assets mm. are in certain funds and each mm-hmm. each fund has a different focus. Mm. And so we ultimately, at the end of the day, are answering back to a performa that has been written for that asset in that fund. Right. And... You know, marketing typically falls mm-hmm. into the soft cost budget. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is scrutinized just like everything else. We all go through value engineering is what it's called, where it's it's cutting. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to balance the, okay, where do we get the most value? Mm-hmm. In the same way from the design perspective where you can say, hmm, do we need a balcony or do we want a kitchen island in this studio? Or maybe that's a horrible yeah. example. But we do the same thing on the marketing side. And what we often will say is, all right, here are your goals in the performa, which also includes your lease up pace, yeah. which is you need to lease X number of units every right. week to stay on track and then to reach your budget occupancy, which mm-hmm. occupancy is real dollars. So if you put $20,000 or you put the number in right. up additional up front to be able to push your rents higher and set them mm-hmm. and kind of like set mm-hmm. the market rent, and then also increase your occupancy. It's real dollars in your pocket. Totally. Well, that makes sense when you tell me, but um, <laughs> do you, I don't know, do you guys have data that will show like the difference between, because it's so hard, like every property is a snowflake, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, we, we it definitely- It makes sense, but like, I'm sure that these, you know, dudes with their fine pencils are, are wondering like, right. what what data do you have on this? And, and here's what I will say. We have a reputation, and I think that speaks- in my opinion, the loudest. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been able to, over the last eight years, kind of come as as a tiny little shop, mm-hmm. make a name for ourselves, and like we set market rents. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And we, and really, when I say we, I'm talking about Jennifer's multifamily group. We are a small right, component right, of right. that, but they're able to come in, set the market rents, and say just because. Like maybe you should spend a little bit more up front, whether that's in your design mm-hmm. or in your branding or in your marketing. And look at what we've done in these eight other projects. Mm. Like we've been able to deliver to expectations, whether it's leasing up faster 
um, raising the rents or increasing the, the per square foot rents or um, increasing occupancy, stabilizing right. faster or something. I mean, right. And then the argument is, well, is that really that or is it the quality of the building? Because Rafter seems phenomenally well built uh, or is it the leasing team? Because like the training is so good. So it's, it's, it's everything. A, it's really right? all of them. Right. And what I will say is um, we've been fortunate to work on a lot of JV deals, mm. which in the early days really pulled back when we were not affiliate companies, a handful of us. And we were very intimately involved in that. And that, I mean, we were all involved in what, what kind of cabinets should we choose? Yeah. And should we have soft close, closed drawers or not? Yes. Um, <laughs> and and when we started, nobody did. Yeah. And so it was, yeah. okay, well, what do you just do to inch above right. the competition right. and stay relevant for long enough before the fund right. sells the property? Right. So kind of back to your question, what happens when the property sells? Yeah. I think it depends on who who's purchasing it. What was its... Where was it in its life cycle at mm-hmm. purchase? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of activity around, they call it value add these days, where you're buying a yeah. B or C asset and you're, the purpose or the strategy behind the purchase is really, okay, you're going to buy it low, mm-hmm. put some capital improvements in it and sell it high. Again, you're going to put some love into it, some elbow grease. You're going to be able to increase market rents. You're going to be able to make money and flip it. Basically, yeah. it's yeah. it's a... It's a single-family home flip for yeah. a multi-family building. Yeah, and, um, but we see that usually like seven, ten years in, at least on the on the on the clients we work with. Mm-hmm. So let's talk just to for continuity's sake. Uh, let's say you're able to keep, as you said, the brand degradation. Let's say it doesn't happen because you're able to communicate with the leasing team and they can keep it alive, and you can work with your other agencies or partners to keep it alive. And now, mm-hmm. hey, you were able to lease up in eighteen months. That's terrific. Well, let's probably going to go on the market for sale, right? right? So let's sell it sometime 18 months to two years. Great. I sell it. When is, and I've never figured this out, but when do they keep the brand versus when do they scrap it? Cause like a lot of times it's like you, this beautiful work and it's like, let's rename it or let's get a new website. So, well, new website is probably more prevalent because it, um, behind the scenes, there is a lot of software and it's mm-hmm. it's proprietary and it's owned by one shop versus another shop. So almost always the website changes. Right. Well, that's like if they're on a different tech stack, then you're on exactly. a different tech stack. Exactly. Um, but the brand, I think, is more, I see it change more frequently in that value add scenario. Mm. When they're buying a, you know, seven, 10 plus year old property, it's BC, and they want it to transition it into something else, then a brand refresh or a rebrand Mm-hmm. Seems appropriate because mm-hmm. if they're trying to pivot and, a tar- and uh, attract a new target demographic, increase rents, if they're doing unit rehabs and other things, you kind of have to deliver a new product to the market. Hmm. You know, if you really want to change the story. So first off, staying on the first on the first bit, I bet I'm sure you guys talk about this, but as part of the sales pitch, to me would be like even if someone was arguing about the data, like. Rich White David is saying, "Hey, I I wanted to lease up fast and now or whatever, and you were and you convinced me to spend fifty k or whatever all in on my brand. Um, but if I don't really believe that's going to help me lease up faster, I I could believe that like this is the investment so that also when you sell, you can you can get more out of that sale because yes. who wants to inherit something that feels hollow yes. versus like I'm going to buy something like wow you if you guys paid this much attention to the brand, imagine what you did with everything else involved and." We talk a lot about brand, but our approach is to extend and go beyond that and really think about experience mm-hmm. and experience from every different level. 
So as ownership, we want to deliver that same kind of experience to you so that it's like we're wooing you kind yeah. of. Um, and of course you have to have hired us, but yeah, I think making sure that you're feeling good about your investment and also making sure that that experience lives on, it means so much more than just a logo or just a website or the tools. Yeah. You talked about that. And, um, I, I feel like you guys have more ability to influence this than others. Um, just the way that at least you're set up. So we'll just stick with Rafter, but um, it's like that you were saying brought in local artwork. And when we toured the property, it was evident they like hammered it like, oh, this is if you're coming up to the, the penthouse floor, each um, each door frame is custom painted. And that's obviously, as you're saying, super ingrained in the process. But you can imagine other third party companies. And this is what I'm curious. They're limited, right? They can't do that stuff. Right. So I'm curious from like, Let's say if you are inheriting another project, but you're not involved up front, let's say maybe maybe one of your affiliates is, is buying a building now that's two years old mm-hmm. and they're inheriting the brand. So at that point, you know, what's important to do mm-hmm. from, as you're saying, the experience, because yeah. like the experience you talked about with Rafter, that's different, but you guys are ingrained. So now you're inheriting something else. Yep. So, I think, I mean, we assess where is it at today? Mm-hmm. Um, my team goes out and not just on property, but what's the advertising like? What's the tone? Mm-hmm. Um, we wrap our heads around it. So kind of we discover what's out there. And then we make a recommendation of here are some shifts we think we could make. Uh, again, tying back to owner goals. You know, What do you want this to be? And Money. <laughs> fundamentally, <laughs> that's what everyone wants. But yeah, I think, yeah. you know, there's sometimes we get, we get together – um, and we talk a lot about what's the target demographic. What do they care about? Because mm-hmm. one of my jobs is to is to keep the ownership and the entire group on track. Because we all have opinions and it's very subjective. But yeah. what does our muse or what does our target demographic care about? Um, and hey, for one second, I have to ask. So um, with all the fair housing stuff, how much can you consider that with brand versus on when we're targeting we can't do, we have to take great lengths to not talk demographic or do something there. So what, mm-hmm. yeah, I love this because there definitely is a character, let's say to a building uh-huh. that will attract a certain type of character. So just, you know, we have transitioned from focusing on traditional demographics, yeah. gender, ethnicity, income, age. We've thrown all of that away and we focus more on lifestyle traits. Yeah. Who do these people, who are they today? Who do right. they aspire to be? Um, what other brands are they allegiant to mm-hmm. and focus heavily on that. Right. Um, so we kind of create this character. Yeah. It's, it's a faceless, nameless character. Right. This right. has transitioned to be so, Yeah. but it's, it's a more about a feeling and a, and a vibe. Yeah. What I like about it though, and how I, I, I just started thinking about it was, um, cause when you say faceless, nameless, it suddenly feels like you're losing the character, but yeah. I'm actually trying to think of it more of like, actually you're giving way more character, right? Cause if you're just looking at, you know, skin color exactly. and gender, well, that's all different. Like every, that each internal right. person's super different versus if you're talking about interests, like psychographics and all yes. this stuff, to me, that's much more rich than what, you know, traditionally was done as you were saying. 
and age is an easy one to pick on for this. I mean, there right. could be someone who is 23 years old and someone that is 70 years old. Mm -hmm. And they care about the same things from a psychographic or behavioral perspective. They're allegiant to the same brands. Mm -hmm. um, maybe one of them is asp aspiring to be and mm -hmm. one already is or something. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more commonality that you can find. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So um, now you're saying, okay, well, maybe you don't have the same budget at that two-year-old property mm -hmm. that you just inherited. So maybe there's some like quick wins. So mm -hmm. could you give some like, what, what's the easiest thing to make the biggest impact? Yeah, good question. Um, we always dive right into website because a lot of the diffusion and the tactics or campaigns are driving back to website. Mm -hmm. And it's often your first impression. So what does that look like? What does it feel like? What's the tone? Is it speaking to that right. you know, audience that we've sort of, crafted, if you will. Um, and then it's working with the sales team. What is the experience that they're delivering? And they are they connected with what we're pushing out on the website? Are they are they are they providing that experience that will set them apart? You, you they may not have the sexiest logo. Right. And that's fine. Right. Right. Their signage may not be the prettiest thing to look at. Right. And those are things that you know what, maybe there's long-term goals to adjust those or update them, but your consumers, your prospects, when they come in the door, if you make them feel the way that they're expecting to feel, that the rest, I mean, it has to be clean and it has to be the, the type of product that they're looking for, but they'll forget everything else. It's, it's about how you make them feel. Right. Right. So, um, and probably the, I would think the continuity of that, right? So like mm -hmm. I go to, I, as you're saying, like I'm poking around online, I go to some website and I'm like, okay, I'm getting a good vibe from this. It's driving with me. Um, then I go to the location, whether I drive or take an Uber. And to your point, like when they're, when I see the A-frame, like leasing office this way sign, I don't look at the design of that. Cause all I want to know is like, what door do I go into to go talk to someone? And is it easy to get there? Right. Did it? Did you get lost? Right. Or right. you know, were you on time because it, they made mm -hmm. it? Yeah, they made your journey easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now I, uh, so I don't care about my A-frame. I'm not going to spend a bunch of hours on that. But I walk in the door, and now, as you're saying, like if the, if the website has a certain kind of copy and a feel, like again, hopefully the design feels similar to the uh -huh. building design. Right. That, right. that it's translated. So it's not like a weirdness. Yes. Um, then when I'm greeted with the leasing team, I like I like what you're saying there, that there should be more connectivity. I, a lot of times it feels so siloed from from our mm -hmm. angle where it's like leasing team is like <laughs> very different than the marketing team. And the marketing mm -hmm. team feels like there's a dotted line, but they can't really have an influence on on the leasing team. Mm -hmm. um, so somehow you probably got to do your best to bridge that gap, like just in case, like how do we set it up so that it feels close enough? And it's never perfect. And it, we're working with people and everybody's different. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's working and sometimes it's not. But I think those videos we were talking about and that training mm -hmm. and those tools and our our culture just internally, it all it all helps. Yeah. I love <laughs> that you're saying, though, the videos, because um, a lot of times we, there's not videos for like that we're provided on assets that we're working on, even if they've spent, <clears throat> you know, $30,000 on their website and brand. They're like, well, I couldn't really spring for the $2,500 video package or whatever that that, that their branding agency provided um, because it's hard to tie back an ROI to that expenditure when you're mm -hmm. like, well, I, so that means I either like kill search for a month or do a video, right? right? And search you can tie ROI to. But 
to your point, like you're getting way more leverage out of that because it's training the on-site team about the feel of this right. thing almost as much as it matters to the client or and to the customer. You know, part of our approach to business and just life in general is to be kind and do things right. And, mm -hmm. you know, if our clients are ponying up and making this large investment, we want to make sure that it can live on for them and we want, we want them to feel good about it. Mm -hmm. So we, it's part of our process. So um, curious um, back, just I'll backtrack a, a second here, but before that building sells at that two year mark or whatever, do you, does the marketing side, whether here or your peers, do they contribute to the sales process? Meaning like, as you're saying, like you're wooing the owner the first mm -hmm. time when it goes up on the market is, do you get utilized at all to woo the possible next yeah. one? You know, less so than you would imagine. So a brokerage team is engaged and they right. typically have their own in-house marketing team. And we work with a great group at CBRE and they have mm -hmm. an amazing marketing team. So they are creating the, the offering memorandum OM. Mm -hmm. um, they may lean on us for imagery or certain things. Sometimes right. we'll review it. Our management team, depending on the asset and, and our involvement, the management team and or the development, original development team will be involved. They may help with tours. They may, you know, review things and help write documents. Um, we're involved less than you would think. Yeah, I think you're not involved at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean. But, but back to your, like, you you have this love for this brand that you've have helped develop. I could see again like how investing in the brand at the beginning could eventually lead to a better sales price at the end. Mm -hmm. I could also see that like well let's almost revive this thing that started to decay a little bit as you said a couple of years and have gone. We by. certainly do that. Yeah. Um, we just sold the our building is part of West End Office Park, so it's a mm -hmm. commercial development, and we just uh, it just sold out of our portfolio. Mm. And about a year ago, we did a website refresh yeah. and we did some signage things. It was sort of like you, zh you zhuzh up your house before your, your friends and yeah. family come over. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, well, so it seems like, I feel like there's opportunity there. If there could be more connectivity, mm -hmm. I would see that that maybe for you guys, since you're more nimble than, than many, I feel like that could be a difference versus like, let's say a gray star or something like they may struggle to, to make any real impact change there. Um, yeah. so anyway, so now, um, let's say you had that fix and flipper that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. At what point do you say, it sounded like you were like, well, it, do you look at the reputation at all ahead of deciding like, Hey, this fix and flip, we should, we should rebrand or not. Uh, is it more like, do you want to try to keep the name as often as you can, but just like change, like make the imagery and all that better? Like what, where's your thought process you, there? At the end of the day, the owner decides, do they want to rebrand or not? Mm -hmm. um, if it's all, if it's Excelsior multifamily managing it, we will consult with them and help do that research and say, mm, you know, the reputation is, great it's super it's really positive or oh, it's not so yeah. great you know you, it may be time for a name change um but if the owner says nah i like the name we're keeping the name yeah we don't have any pull right, i mean we right. can say here here's a recommendation one way or the other but it's ultimately their choice yeah frankly you can i mean there's a lot we i mean we've done lots of advisory work there on like fixing a, a bad reputation yeah. so in some ways it's like it's so hard to get uh, properties established because if they are selling every couple of years and their websites are changing every couple of years, usually there's a new URL. So the online presence right. is so hard to build mm -hmm. that in many cases, uh, I would prefer that we mm -hmm. keep 
everything that we right. can and right. then just work on on fixing the reputation as opposed to starting fresh because it's so hard to get going. Right. And oftentimes that will be our recommendation. I think also when you're in this this quick flip mentality, it's, oh, I, I need to create a new product because mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to add value. And that's where the name change is. Uh. You're you're in it for the short game, right? Mm-hmm. You are quite you acquire the asset. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through your improvements, and you can see the end. You're putting it up back on the market, yeah, and yeah. you're exiting. Yeah, so window dressing needs to go on this thing real quick, right? Um, so, where do you think um, is there a stage of a, of a life cycle of a property where you think it makes there's a greater chance that it makes sense to invest in this type of stuff? It's a good question, and this is kind of a non-answer answer. Non-answer answer. I think it depends on the asset. It depends on the location. It depends on the ownership and what those goals are because you would cost a lot of money mm-hmm. to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a long-term hold situation and you're fairly stable and you're not making any other improvements, I don't know. I think you should scrutinize it a little bit more. Hmm. If if you have different goals, different outlook, it just depends. Why the location? Um. Some locations are hotter than others, and if you have a not-so-hot location, it could be that you pivot your product a little bit and it becomes more appealing. Hmm. Um, or, flip side, you have a great location, and that's what's helping keeping that's what's helping keep your asset in a stable situation. I don't know, maybe you, you question a little bit more mm-hmm. of your investment. I think our goal is to provide maximum value to our clients. And so we don't yeah. want to sell them a Maserati when they need a Honda. Right, right. So we talk, <laughs> we were, we talk about this. We do a lot of student housing, probably like thirty percent of what we do. And with student housing, a lot of times, depending on the the school that it's associated with, it they don't have to do anything. It's like right. it, it's going to lease up one hundred percent. Yeah, open it. So like, why why spend on anything? So that's I think your point about location. Um, it will lease. I think also reputation. How do you build those brand advocates and how do you, I mean, how do you build that experience? I mean, I think great, you want to lease up, but maybe you want to have a waiting list. And, you know, how do you grow that demand beyond mm-hmm. just filling all of the units that you have? Interesting. Yeah, because then if you do the, the waiting list thing, then hopefully you can drive up prices even more, theoretically. Right. It's also interesting. I wonder how much the brand impacts and since we've been talking a lot about squishy stuff here, like yeah. less hard data, but I'm wondering how much the, that brand, and if you can, it's like if you push brand really hard to your point, you can have a better experience and then how much that would impact uh, retention rate. Because most people decide that they're going to, that they're going to either move, move or stay in apartment after 90 days, the first 90 days that they move in. And I could see how some of it, like if the rafter folks, um, you know, we're really like kept highlighting all the local art and all that stuff. Like maybe I would think like it would impact me more that first 90 days. I'm like, okay. And then even if something started to go wrong or whatever, like I may, if I started to poke around online later on and I see these other, like I'll say like shells, these other buildings Mm -hmm. where they don't seem to have the same heart. Solus. Yeah. Solus. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great point. That may give me pause where I'm like, shoot, man, this building, like they focus so much on this stuff to be ingrained in the community. I'm not exactly happy with it but is this soulless looking right. thing going to be any any right. better for me so yeah. i wonder it i could see how that would impact me anyways. yeah no i think you're spot on i think also the service that you're receiving to your yeah. point yeah. 90 days in you decide well do they care about me do they not do they want me here 
And that is somewhat out of our hands. I mean, we can help train up front and help engage the sales team on the experience that we have written, hoping that they push that out there. Yeah. Um, I think it's also what other product is coming on to the market. Because if if there is other product that's at the same or similar level, we keep seeing people want that next new thing. (laughs) Yeah. um, Service and experience i think is is really important yeah the other thing is it's uh, it's super hard to stand out right like just go to apartments.com and do like a a search in your area and there's there's a lot of properties right Mm -hmm. and um i we were just in seattle two weeks ago and we were doing tours and there was this one property manager i wish i could remember his name but it's probably best i don't so no one tries to take him away <laughs> but he in in his building and um it's a plan turner property uh in his building he knows everybody's name as a leasing agent as a leasing agent he has been there since the built before the building uh opened like he was there uh they, it was a rehab so yeah. he's probably been there three years which blew my mind because leasing agents like you know, half life or so, right. so little, right. but he, uh, we were talking to him. I was like, this guy is amazing compared to most leasing agents. Uh, like he really cares about the building yeah. and he talked about like the construction and, and like, like he was ingrained in it. And so if you have a fellow like him, brand probably matters less. Right. <laughs> but if you don't have a, someone like him and as you're saying, like every, people are hard to hire, I'm criticized, uh, m- more by Reed usually, because I say I wish we could hire robots. I mean, I love our team, <laughs> but it's so hard to find people. And people yeah. are so, you never know what's going to happen in someone's life, right. Right? right? And so I i like dependable, hence the robot thing. So I go yeah. back to it. But with a brand, I could see like this is almost an insurance policy in a way against like, what if we can't find that leasing agent that really cares or is going to carry this through? You hope that that's, yeah. but in a way I could see, I could, if I'm that rich owner guy, I've feel like I convince myself like, okay, this is a good way to protect myself. I think so. You know, I would say that they, they show up together. I think good staff, good service is really important, but if they don't have a product or um, Mm. if the product hasn't been created and positioned well, they may not be as successful as. Right. Okay. Okay. How about this angle? So I, um, we all know that the, like you, you want to be proud of where you live, like, mm-hmm. right? That's very important. I yes. think that's forgotten a lot about. We've been having this conversation internally, but because we're not curing cancer, right? But at the same time, we are like, it is important. Like a home is one of the most important decisions mm-hmm. that someone makes. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, have a invest in this brand and that experience is carried through, like I'm now living at Rafter, I could be like, well, I am, I don't, I want to show my friends where I right. live now, right? I'm very proud of this. And that word of mouth helps. And then to your point about the the, the leasing agent, I feel like if I'm given, uh, back to your Maserati, if I'm given a product that looks like it's really well thought out, it's got a cool brand, I will feel better about where I work and what I do. Yeah. I think back to, um, so one of my first jobs, I, I don't, well, I, I was a car salesman. I was a terrible car salesman, but, because uh, I don't like selling. But uh, I, it was a Dodge Chrysler Jeep dealership and, uh, the Chrysler 300 came out the year that, that I, uh, okay. started. And when it first showed up, I was like, holy cow, we have this, this, I mean, it's 
I mean, they're all over the place now, but yeah. I would beforehand, it was PT cruisers yeah. that I'm trying to sling. <laughs> I wasn't very proud of these PT cruisers. I was like, yeah, sure. It's a funky car or whatever. But then the 300 comes out and I remember it was like, it was like we had this like piece of gold because we could never keep them in stock. And it was like, you everybody just treated it different than they, right. than they treated the cruiser. Yeah. And so I could see how that would impact the onsite stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I know you've got to run to another meeting soon, but is there anything that else that you wanted to touch on or, or get out? I mean, I feel like we can have three more sessions and talk I'd love about to. lots of things. So we will just say to be continued. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, we should because I do want to hear more about this other journey and how you guys are going to approach it with uh, what are you calling the other um, your the, our our company? Yeah, yeah. Excelsior Creative. Okay. Yeah, and should be known that you don't have to be part of Excelsior to use that. You're you would be you guys going up against any other agency. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Any I guess for a plug, any other any specialties you want to like hit on there? I think I if we're plugging, I would say yeah. that we can go up against any other agency where we are unique is that we have grown from the underbelly of, you know, the investment real estate company and so we probably know so much more from totally. the owner side and we understand those pains and we understand how to deliver successful results within reality. Cause I think agencies are amazing and they do some really creative, outstanding work, but it comes with a price. They don't know what COI is. They don't understand real estate. They don't understand like you can create these six tools that are super shiny and great. They're extremely sexy, yeah. but they actually don't deliver results. Mm -hmm. They're not helpful. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Excuse me. Brenda, um... You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she's, she's late. I know. Oh, okay. We'll yeah. head out. No, we'll head out right now. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So go ahead. Um, so having that real estate experience yeah. and really understanding, you know, what does an owner need? What's important? How do we get inside budgets? Yeah. Cause Budgets are slim. I mean, yeah. it's just a different world. So I think we show up with a little bit more to offer, Yeah. right? We can bring the creative side, but we can also bring a wealth of knowledge from the real estate owner side. Yeah, totally. Makes total sense. Can't wait to get into it more, but um, thanks. Thanks for the time, Brenda. Thanks for having me. You enjoyed it. You're smiling. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, this was yeah. great. All right, cool. All right. Get, get, get down.